With Election Day over, focus will return to whether there will be another round of federal government stimulus spending and if local governments should get direct help. We really had to sharpen the pencil. Uh, We imposed hiring freezes. We budgeted this year that we were going to, at best, bring in 80% of where we were last year. We saw a close to $40 million shortfall in income. I'm Tom Hudson. Also on today's program, catching up with a bartender, baker, and banker navigating the pandemic economy. It's been a really interesting year and a half. I am uh, self-quarantining this week and working from home. Right now I have a, a payroll. I really could have two or three less people. The Sunshine Economy is next after the news. Welcome to the Sunshine Economy. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening to WLRN. While COVID-19 infections are rising and the South Florida unemployment rate remains above 10%, local government budgets are getting through the pandemic so far. Financial help to local governments, that means cities and counties here in South Florida, was a sticking point before the election in the debate over any more stimulus from the federal government. In the spring, the stimulus legislation passed by Congress and signed by President Trump included $150 billion for state and local governments across the country. The money was designed to fill budget holes created by the emergency response to the pandemic. In Florida, the money flowed first to county governments because the legislation limited direct payments to local governments with less than half a million residents. Since the election, there is renewed discussion about another round of stimulus spending by the federal government. Before the election, House Democrats passed a bill in May, but it was not taken up by the Republican-controlled Senate. Whether or not to provide more money to state and local governments is one of the areas of disagreement. Despite the uncertainty and climbing infection rates, the financial conditions of local governments is pretty decent. Generally, the credit quality of local governments in Southeast Florida is strong. Many local governments in South Florida were performing quite well from a revenue perspective. That's Michael Rinaldi with Fitch Ratings and Valentina Gomez with Moody's Investor Service. Those are two of the credit rating agencies that judge the creditworthiness of local governments. Even though local government budgets have been squeezed by the virus and some revenue like sales taxes and hotel bed taxes dropped significantly in the springtime as the pandemic started and economic restrictions were put in place to slow the spread of the disease, the main source of money for local governments has held up. This is Valentina Gomez again with Moody's. I would say the first area of concern is sales taxes and hotel occupancy taxes. Fortunately, those revenue streams are relatively narrow. Property taxes are the dominant revenue stream for most local governments. But that is going to remain uh, an area of of concern as we move forward into the 2021 fiscal year uh, for most local governments. The property tax bills that have gone out to property owners represent assessments made before the pandemic back in January. The market was strong before COVID-19, and the residential housing market has gotten even stronger, driven by record low mortgage rates and strong demand. Michael Rinaldi with Fitch Ratings recognizes the strength real estate provides city and county budgets right now, but warns other parts of the regional economy still need to rebound. I think on the housing side of things, while things look good right now, um, if the economy is not able to bring in jobs at a more robust pace, and we've seen some slow uh, slowing down in the growth and employment recovery uh, of late, 
uh, I think, you know, there's ultimately risk that, you know, pressure on the housing market, you know, could ultimately impact tax bases and property tax revenues. In April, Fitch put all local government bonds backed by hotel bed and tourism taxes on notice. This includes bonds in Broward and Miami-Dade counties. It pointed to a collapse of hotel occupancy and tourism travel. The uncertainty is really driven by uh, the lack of clarity with respect to the public health conditions and most critically, you know, the widespread availability of a vaccine and or treatment uh, to, you know, help contain the coronavirus. Tourism remains under pressure. Hotel occupancy in late October in Miami-Dade County was down 40 percent compared to a year earlier, and the average revenue per available room was less than half what hotels collected last year. Only 46 percent of hotel rooms in Broward County had guests in September, and in August, $2.8 million in tourism development taxes were collected. That's down 46 percent from a year earlier. Fewer visitors mean millions of dollars less in tax revenue for local governments. This is Valentina Gomez again with Moody's. We are very focused on travel, tourism, uh, those those narrow revenue streams. That is where we see the most stress uh, within local governments. And while they are not the largest revenue source, certainly, for any uh, Florida local government, they are important. And that's where we're seeing the stress at this point. So I would say it's it's a significant stress, but relatively acute for local governments in Southeast Florida. Sales and tourism taxes may not be as important to local government budgets as property taxes, but the drop-off has led to some changes. Nisha Raja is an analyst also at Moody's. Local governments going into the pandemic, they've been able to adjust their budgets accordingly. Um, I think we've really seen that there has been a lot of active management, perhaps delaying capital costs, taking advantage of, uh, frankly, low interest rates. We've seen a lot of refundings this year to achieve some of those cost savings as well, um, which have really put them on stable ground. Some local governments froze hiring and pay and cut back on some planned spending. Easy stuff, according to Michael Rinaldi at Fitch Ratings. Almost sort of lower hanging fruit um, you know, measures that governments have taken to control spending. The tougher decisions have been delayed, in part thanks to federal stimulus money. Local governments have used money for public safety to buy personal protective gear and public health spending. They've also used it for small business grants, rent and mortgage relief, and for food. Other federal government stimulus efforts like stimulus checks and forgivable loans to companies trickle back into the local economy through consumer spending. It has all helped in the short term, even as there's no guarantee of any more direct help coming to local governments. From our perspective, you know, federal stimulus, it certainly was helpful in terms of 2020 results and what we're hearing from a lot of local governments. Um, It's put them on a, a firmer path with regard to 21 and their budget. Um, you know, it's essentially pushed the stress a little bit further down the road, allowing governments time to react. However, federal stimulus in and of itself, you know, is not you know sort of the panacea to local governments, the stress that we think is likely to persist through the fiscal 21 year, potentially into 2022. But first, the current budget year and COVID-19 for local governments. That's still to come. Our sales tax revenue for the month of August was at 95% of where we were last August. So we're starting to see tourism come back.
We're back on the Sunshine Economy here on WLRN. Thanks again for listening and supporting public radio. I'm Tom Hudson. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast by searching Sunshine Economy on your podcast app and hitting subscribe. The COVID-19 pandemic has been a twin threat to the Florida Keys. First is the public health threat. The Keys has fewer than 200 staffed hospital beds, according to state data, and only 13 adult ICU beds. And the county's COVID infection rate has been climbing. The second threat from the virus to the Keys is tourism. Monroe County's economy relies on visitors, and for more than two months, the Keys closed to outsiders this spring. The county put up a roadblock. Even after it was removed, bars in the Keys were closed for about six months to slow the spread of the germ. While property taxes have remained strong thanks to the strong real estate market, sales taxes, hotel taxes, and other revenue plunged, including a lot fewer parking tickets. That's an important part of revenue to the city of Key West. With the Keys closed to visitors, cruise ships docked and not bringing thousands of passengers to Key West for even a few hours. Voters just approved new measures that will significantly limit the number of cruise passengers and the size of ships visiting Key West if those measures hold up to expected court challenges. We spoke with Key West Mayor Terry Johnson about how the small town with a big reliance on tourism has dealt with the financial realities brought on by the pandemic. Mayor Johnson, welcome back to WLRN and the Sunshine Economy. Describe the COVID impact on city finances for Key West. Immediately upon, I think it was March 20th, Tom, we froze all hiring positions. We actually scaled back all of our projects to just needed, required projects for for infrastructure. We um, basically held all salaries and uh, eliminated, you know, all vehicles and, and major equipment purchases. So we reacted pretty quickly because our economy is based on tourism. And as you know, it was basically uh, at a halt, uh, if you will. So we budgeted this year with a thought process that we were going to, at best, bring in 80% of where we were last year. Uh, we took that all the way down the line. Every department head came in with a 20% reduction in their budgets. And uh, so that's that's how we prepared for COVID. What has that meant? What will that mean in the months ahead for not only the employees of the city, but for residents? Well, it's interesting because the residents have not seen any change in services. We maintained all of our essential services. Uh, so they basically uh, are not seeing anything. Um, but we have three unions in the city of Key West, all have held their salaries. Every general employee here uh, has held their salaries. The city commission has held their salaries. So that's the impact that we're going to see inside is basically salary related. Uh, no benefits were cut, uh, nothing of that nature in our, our police department continue to receive their step increases. So that's the primary impact that you're going to see in here in City Hall. Outside, people are going to see very little change because we kept our essential services that they see day to day. But you have cut back on capital outlays. So in other words, yes, we have. the big investments in plant and equipment is how yes. business accountants would look at it. But residents would look at it like fixing streets, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And we actually, we were very fortunate. Uh, we had a pretty good size budget last year, which we carried part of that over into this year. So you didn't spend everything. 
we did not spend everything. And we were basically able to reduce our road maintenance by about $3 million this year, just based on the fact that we had a reserve from last year. And it was simply the fact that we couldn't get people down here into Key West, you know, in order to repair the amount of roads that we had scheduled to be repaired. Meantime, the federal government has provided some stimulus money for local governments. It has come through the CARES Act back in the springtime, and it came through large local governments, governments of municipalities with 500,000 or more, which would not describe Key West, it would not describe Monroe County for that matter. But yet the state of Florida has allocated some money for the Keys. How important have those dollars been? They have been very, very important. Have you used them? Two of the most recent cases that I can talk about, Tom, is that a little known fact here. I I mean, we live in Monroe County, the third most expensive county to live in in the United States, and yet we have food insecurities. We have a number of nonprofits right now. I'm thinking of our our SOS nonprofit, which normally would distribute about uh, 6,000 meals a month. Right now, they are operating at about 13,000 meals a month, and all of our other nonprofits have been stretched to the max. We have garnered $315,000 in the last two weeks for um, food insecurities. Has that been federal money, Mayor? Yes, it has been. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, And it's been distributed through the county, through Monroe County. Also, we have a million dollars that has been designated to to Key West for rental assistance because being a tourism destination, we've got a lot of uh, tourist-related paying jobs, minimal wages. When the pandemic hit, we shut down restaurants, we shut down bars, uh, you know, hotels were at a minimum. It threw a number of our key members of our workforce uh, in arrears for the rent. So we've had over a million dollars worth of rental assistance, which is helping. Meantime, the debate on Capitol Hill prior to the election and sure to fire up quickly here after the election has been another round of federal stimulus. One of the places there has been disagreement between the democratically controlled House of Representatives and the republic controlled U.S. Senate has been in the assistance to local governments. It doesn't sound like Key West needs local, direct local help, does it? In terms of the city government? Well, the city government, uh, what we're using uh, a lot of the funding on is to fund, um, you know, our COVID responses for the city of Key West. Those have been many. We are we are using a, a lot of that funding for that. We also, on day one, we saw that we were going to have food insecurity. So the city took $160,000 out of city coffers just to fund our community through these really tough times before the federal stimulus dollars started moving. But actually, as a city, we've been able to do pretty well. Our sales tax revenue for the month of August was at 95% of where we were last August. So we're starting to see tourism coming back. Uh, We do have some businesses that are in very, very serious shape, but we have created a COVID economic recovery committee to help businesses rewrite business plans, take a look at the type of tourism that that is going to be coming into Key West in in the foreseeable future, and to retool their business plan around the type of, of visitors that we're going to have. I'm not so sure I would go so far as to say as the city of Key West it does not need the stimulus because we do uh, and have used it, I think, very, very wisely. 
when it comes to tourism, another big change coming potentially quickly is, of course, the the restrictions that voters approved on cruise ships likely will be at least uh, uh, one court fight, if not many court fights, over instituting these restrictions and limitations on the size of the ships themselves and the number of passengers who can get off and visit Key West for the day. How will those cruise restrictions change the tourism economy and change the revenue generated for the city? Right. Well, here's the fascinating thing, Tom. You know, initially when the cruise, when they got the no-sail order in March, we thought, well, you know, this is going to be devastating because we do have a group of businesses that depend on cruise ship passengers. And also, you know, we have a number of those passengers who visit Key West the first time and then come back and visit and stay for a a week or two weeks. So uh, initially we thought it is going to have a major impact. And I'm not so sure that we haven't seen the end of the impact yet, but we're now eight months into this and we're eight months with no cruise ship passengers. We're eight months with virtually no international visitors, which made up a significant portion of our 3 million uh, tourists a year. And our bars were closed until uh, into July. And we were sitting here in the month of August at 95% of last August, 2019, which was a record year for Key West. So we're feeling, we're feeling very grateful. We've got a number of businesses that have increased their online activity, We instituted protective measures very, very quickly in the city of Key West. So I think people see Key West as a very safe haven to come into, you know, if you're picking a destination. People want to get out, and although they don't want to take long trips, we certainly are getting a drive-down market, you know, in between three and and four hours of here that can come into Key West. You're on a two-by-four island. You have perfect weather. So you can basically conduct your activities outside. And I think that gives Key West a a real advantage over other areas, particularly as it gets cold and forces people inside. Sounds like the pandemic has been a proving ground for Key West and its economy without the cruise business. Well, we've had to reinvent ourselves a number of times. You know, we were were a a cigar... uh, economy, you know, we were a pirate economy, we a sponge economy, and we've had to adapt a number of times. You know, every time we have a, a weather event like a hurricane, you know, again, we're knocked down for a little while, but but, but Key West is such a, a hardened, close-knit community. We really help each other get back up and on our feet. We've proven it time and time again, and this is no different. Mayor Johnson, any end in sight to the salary freezes that were instituted back in the springtime for employees? Well, we, we're going to go back into budgeting in March. Um, it seems to come around way too often, but we go back in in March and we're going to take a look and see where we're at in March and and certainly make adjustments based on that. No expected changes before then, though? Uh, I, I don't believe so, uh, only because, you know, we would love to see and, and be able to predict an end to the COVID pandemic, but you can't. What about on the hiring freeze? On the hiring freeze, uh, we have we are now starting to hire our budgeted positions that we had put into hold. We don't have any any uh, new positions um, that have been approved via the budget. And what will be the indication for you about return for some of those standard budgetary uh, increases that you that any local government would normally expect? 
Yep. Well, that's, you know, an increase in revenue. We depend heavily on parking revenue. We depend heavily on bed tax revenue from our hotels. And when those come back around and we can feel comfortable that it's going to be a consistent revenue source, we'll have an opportunity then to start lightening up on our restrictions that we've placed on our budget and our our, uh, city personnel. That's Key West Mayor Terry Johnson. Now, still to come, the confidence from Fort Lauderdale's mayor that the city can weather the financial threat from the pandemic. It's a wait and see thing. I think we're going to be able to go through the COVID pandemic relatively unscathed. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks again for listening and for supporting public radio. Today, we're talking with several local government leaders about dealing with the financial consequences of COVID-19 as the debate in Congress returns to another round of federal stimulus after the election. Dean Trantalis was one of the winners Tuesday night. He was reelected mayor of Fort Lauderdale, winning by 16 points. The city holds the unenviable record for the worst sewer spills in the state, thanks to massive spills about a year ago. Over 200 million gallons of sewage poured into canals and streets. The city's aging sewer pipes broke at least a half dozen times in December alone. There's a $65 million sewer main project that will replace seven miles of old pipes. Sewage started flowing through a new one-and-a-half-mile section in late October. Two years ago, Fort Lauderdale okayed borrowing $200 million to help pay to fix the sewer system. That borrowing is paid back by utility fees paid by residents. This kind of spending is not at risk as the region deals with COVID-19, and while the city's bond rating is strong thanks to the strong real estate market. I spoke with Fort Lauderdale Mayor Dean Trantalis late last week. Mr. Mayor, welcome back to WLRN. What has been the impact of the pandemic on the financial situation for the city of Fort Lauderdale? In the previous fiscal year that ended September 30th, we saw a a financial shortfall of uh, almost $20 million. uh, And that was just uh, regular budget items and up to $40 million through all of our enterprise funds, like parking, uh, uh, airport, various funds, cemetery. Uh, those enterprise funds, combined with the uh, regular budget, we saw close to $40 million shortfall in income. We were able to cover those deficits by either uh, postponing certain projects or uh, doing things in a different way so that we could at least uh, cover ourselves. We didn't fire anybody. Uh, everyone has their jobs. The services were maintained at, at, uh, at normal levels. But when it comes to Projects like infrastructure and uh, like the water sewer infrastructure projects we're involved with, none of that was ever touched. Those are funded by bond money. So we continued this summer with the program without uh, losing a day. And uh, those projects will continue. As a result, um, we still have maintained our AAA bond rating with the uh, bonding services. and, uh, And we're very happy about that. And that's so important because that bond rating affects the cost of borrowing for the city and the ability for the city to go out and find the credit necessary to take care of 
uh, of infrastructure or or wherever that money is going to be directed and all of that being influenced by kind of that financial response from the pandemic. Correct. We have been very successful at maintaining the balance that we need to maintain in terms of uh, shoring up our resources and at the same time trying to absorb the deficits that uh, that that are going to hit us. Now, the, the previous fiscal year, um, we still had most of our income there. It's the, this next fiscal year that began this past October 1st that we're waiting to see how that's going to impact us. As you know, a good portion of our income comes from um, property taxes. And those have been strong and stable. Those have been strong and stable as prices continue to, well, let's just say they continue to grow. And uh, so that portion of our income on the balance sheet will not be impacted, but other sources such as our share of sales tax that we receive and, and, and the like, uh, we'll probably see less money uh, coming from those sources. So it's a wait and see thing. I think we're going to be able to go through the COVID pandemic relatively unscathed, uh, provided we you know continue to keep our eyes open and our ears perked to make sure that uh, we continue to follow the straight path. One of the other pieces of uncertainty, Mr. Mayor, of course, is the uh, the federal contribution through the uh, CARES Act that happened back in the springtime. That money was allocated to larger government entities like the county in Broward County before it came down to uh, uh, smaller municipalities. There's a, a raging debate, of course, about how another stimulus may take shape and whether or not local governments will be able to uh, partake in that. Does Fort Lauderdale need federal stimulus dollars today? We definitely benefit from uh, federal stimulus dollars. And and the the money that was allocated to the county uh, through the CARES Act, uh, we will still become a beneficiary of some of that money as uh, different programs are established in order to uh, help fulfill the goals of the act. Um, Trying to help businesses, small businesses, uh, keep themselves, keep their doors open, uh, people who need rental and mortgage assistance, uh, all of those programs coming through the county will definitely be included in our, in our budget uh, priorities. But what about the budget for operations for the city itself? Does the city need federal dollars? Well, there are different grant programs that we are seeking out, and part of it is directly from the federal government and part of it is through the county. Let me give you an example of something that's directly from the federal government, and that is uh, CARES Act money for our homeless population, trying to find and secure housing and uh, other needs in terms of social services and the like. We've uh, been able to track down over a million dollars just uh, in the last couple of months, which is going to go a long way to our continuing to work with our homeless population. People are going to start to see a lot of the panhandlers on the streets disappearing, a lot of the encampments will start to uh, also uh, disappear, mainly because we have been able to assist these people if they simply have employment issues because they've lost their job due to COVID-19. We are going to help them find a pathway out of homelessness. So, so to answer your question, yes, we have money from multiple directions, and, and yes, we do need to continue to seek out that money. The new stimulus package that's been passed by the House of Representatives that that has not yet been passed by the uh, Senate will definitely go a long way in helping to uh, keep our finances in, in place and to continue to provide the services that everyone has come to expect. As the city works through this uh, fiscal year for the city budget, 
property values uh, are growing. Property tax revenue, I imagine, is growing along with that. New construction really hasn't uh, been impacted substantially by the pandemic, especially when it comes to uh, residential demand. But it's later on, right? Because it's it's 2022. If the pandemic continues to wear on, how how concerned are you as you look further out, having just won re-election yourself during this uh, this campaign? I think the message was heard by the community. People are are happy with the direction we're taking. They're they're appreciative of the aggressive uh, approach we've taken to rebuilding our underground infrastructure. Um, and we'll continue to move forward, especially as we look to rebuild our water treatment plant. Decision will be made probably in the next 60 to 90 days on that. Um, we have not lost a beat. The kind of money that we need for that, we'll still be in, a, be in a position to borrow the money necessary. Yeah, let me ask about that, because uh, the last uh, couple of years, there have been some significant sewer issues, water treatment issues uh, that you've had to address on an emergency basis, looking for comprehensive fixes as well, to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. Is any of that in jeopardy because of the pandemic uh, or because of the the lack of an additional federal stimulus package? None of that is in jeopardy. We are moving forward. Uh, we have been able to borrow the money we are continuing with rebuilding of our underground infrastructure and our above-ground infrastructure. We're also moving forward with other bond issues that the community uh, approved last year, the parks bond issue, as well as the new public safety building. Those programs will continue to move forward because we do have the financial base to pay the, the bonds as they, as they accrue. One of the financial consequences of the pandemic has been lower and lower and lower borrowing costs. And so for borrowers like the city of Fort Lauderdale with municipal bond issuance in play, it means those dollars can go further because the cost of borrowing has dropped substantially. The cost of borrowing has dropped substantially, and not just for the city, but for homeowners, people who are looking to buy a house. You know, interest rates are really, really low. And for those that have been able to keep their jobs and feel that they can pay a mortgage, interest rates are really low. My, I have an adjustable rate mortgage on my house, and it dropped to like 2.5%, which is crazy. Speaking with Fort Lauderdale Mayor Dean Trantalis, like all cities in South Florida, it did not receive money directly from previous federal government stimulus efforts because of the population size. They're not big enough. The Congressional CARES Act federal stimulus funding went to local governments with populations of a half million or more. Still to come, managing through the financial uncertainties in Palm Beach County. As the pandemic wears on, we're going to have to tighten our belts. We really had to sharpen the pencil. Uh, we imposed uh, uh, free hiring freezes. We're back on the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Thanks again for listening today. Mac Bernard remembers having to make tough spending decisions as a member of the Florida House of Representatives at the end of the Great Recession. Those were some tough days in Tallahassee. Bernard now serves on the Palm Beach County Commission. As the pandemic wears on, we're going to have to 
tighten our belts. Those tough choices may come later this year for Palm Beach County and other local governments as the COVID-19 pandemic continues. Among the first financial casualties of the virus have been tourist taxes and sales taxes. But property taxes make up the majority of money funding local governments, and the property market has remained strong. But that has not held local government budgets untouched by the virus. We really had to sharpen the pencil. Uh, we imposed uh, uh, free hiring freezes. This is Keith James. He's mayor of the city of West Palm Beach. When you're in periods of uncertainty, and obviously a pandemic is... <laughs> Is, is that represents a period of uncertainty. You, you need to start looking sooner rather than later and probably assume the worst. Uh, pray for the best, but assume the worst when it comes to, to, to impact on revenues. In addition to lower revenues from tourist-oriented taxes, James thinks a drop in commercial real estate assessments may hit next year's budget. The forecast, unfortunately, is probably more the same. All indications are that, at least with respect to commercial properties, their value will probably decrease, which means their assessed value will mean uh, less taxes uh, from commercial properties. Uh, we don't know, but we're expecting a, a similar decrease from sales tax revenues. You know, businesses are not up to 100 uh, percent. Tourism is down uh, all over. It's going to be a challenging time. This is why local governments are following the congressional negotiations regarding the possibility of another federal COVID stimulus package so closely. A Democratic bill would extend more dollars to local governments, but Republicans have resisted that effort. I'm hopeful, hopeful, hopeful that the folks in D.C. will get their act together and start letting some money flow to local and state governments. When the CARES Act money flowed from Washington, we as a city got zero dollars out of that. That's because West Palm Beach, just like every other city, town, and village throughout South Florida, isn't large enough to qualify. Only the state and counties received direct dollars from the first stimulus effort. Congress required local governments to have more than a half million residents in order to get the money from the U.S. Treasury Department. And that created a rift between cities and counties, including in Palm Beach County, where Mac Bernard is a county commissioner. Well, initially, it provided a level of tension uh, between the cities. But what we've done is all of the money that we received from the CARES Act, we've actually created uh, a spreadsheet to show in which cities are those funding being spent. Palm Beach County received $261 million. 18% of it is budgeted to pay for COVID-19 expenses like protective gear, staff, and public education. Another 12% goes toward community food programs. The biggest line item is $75 million in grants for small businesses across the county. All of those funds were allocated to businesses throughout the whole county, and that's kind of like helped uh, alleviate some of the tension we're in this together with our 39 municipalities. What we've done in terms of testing sites throughout the whole county, what we've done is worked with the cities. And also we have weekly calls with our League of Cities. So in that way, they know exactly what the county is doing. And so in that way, we can continue to improve the communication. But those funds are being spent throughout the whole county. It's for our residents. In June, several Palm Beach County cities asked the county to reimburse them for the money that they spent before the county got its federal stimulus spending going. West Palm Beach was one of those asking to be paid back. We had rental assistance programs. We had uh, 
uh, uh, grant programs for our small businesses. Uh, we had some ongoing food uh, uh, programs. So we were putting money from our budget, uh, which we had not budgeted for, into the hands of our businesses and our residents. And all we were saying is at least reimburse us because, again, these are dollars that we had not budgeted. We, when we passed the budget last September, we didn't have COVID on our mind. But we were not successful in that effort. That's all I'll say. Mayor James, does the city of West Palm Beach need federal dollars from an operational standpoint? Well, yes, absolutely, because we have decreased revenues coming uh, from the state, from, from taxes. And we're anticipating, even over the next budget year, decreased revenues. This is not a situation where we have been operating sloppily. I mean, again, as a municipal government, we were required to balance budgets each and every year. Right. Uh, but just like it was back in 2008, 2009 with the Great Recession, when you have decreased revenues, the spending needs don't necessarily decrease because your citizens still have the desire for services. So if we're going to maintain a certain level of service for our residents and our businesses, we need help. The clock has been ticking for months now on whether or not Congress will find a compromise on another round of federal government stimulus spending and whether or not local governments could see some direct help. Palm Beach County Commissioner Mac Bernard, like a lot of local officials, already is looking at next year and how the pandemic may affect those spending plans and an eye on the spread of the virus itself. What I hope is that in the fiscal year 2021-2022, which is when we'll get uh, the new fiscal year, and so that's when we'll we'll have the crunch, and so that's the reason why it's so important for Congress to get its act together and for us to provide much needed assistance for 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 the county residents. Is that because of an anticipated change in property values and property taxes? Yes, because because of the fact that property value for this fiscal year budget. Uh, uh, 2020-2021 budget was based on uh, the property tax value as of January 1st of 2020. So uh, we won't have that impact until in January of 2021 is when uh, we're going to feel the squeeze when we're passing the budget for 2021-2022 because that's when you're going to have the impact of covid most of the municipalities were able and counties were able to pass a budget uh, pre-COVID, but now when we're passing the 2021-2022 budget, it's going to be uh, with COVID. And so until we get a better handle on the COVID situation, it's going to impact our budgets in the future year. The other issue that's going to be a key is uh, vaccination and how's that going to be implemented in terms of working with the Florida Department of State and how will the county be able to protect uh, the residents to make sure that the vaccinations are safe and that we provide that for our residents in Palm Beach County. Mac Bernard is a Palm Beach County commissioner. Now, still to come, we'll catch up this week with our bartender, baker, and banker navigating the pandemic economy. It's been a really interesting year and a half. I am uh, self-quarantining this week and working from home. Right now I have a, a payroll. I really could have two or three less people.
We're back on the Sunshine Economy. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks again for listening and supporting WLRN. The election, then the waiting for unofficial results, then the approach of ETA. They've all been big, important stories over the past few days. Then there's the climbing count of COVID-19 infections. One of those new cases in the past week is in Ginger Martin's house. Martin is the CEO of American National Bank in Fort Lauderdale. She's the banker of the banker-baker-bartender trio of women we have heard from each week this season as we navigate through the pandemic economy. Martin is overseeing the bank this week from her home, experiencing firsthand the policies and safety procedures she put in place to protect her bank employees while the business of banking continues. I am uh, self-quarantining this week and working from home uh, because my uh, college-age daughter, who's uh, doing co- uh, school online, tested positive for COVID. So that kind of has changed my week. She's doing good. In fact, she's had two uh, you know, good days, and thankfully I've had uh, no symptoms. And we just kind of followed all the protocol as uh, far as uh, you know, keeping her in her, in her room and and uh, and you know, mask and wiping everything down. She's on the mend. I think she's over the hump, and I thankfully have had no symptoms whatsoever. I was telling my uh, HR person, I said I didn't really want to be the test case for American, uh, you know, National Bank. But fortunately, though, we have not had, uh, you know, anyone in this situation. And so here I am, and and I'm asking her, okay, I know I read in this policy, so now tell me, tell me, uh, refresh my memories on the my memory on the rules. And so we we are going through it. So at least we've had a true test run. You know, so many times. You do policies and procedures, and you don't need to use them. And so uh, that's where I am this week. Here's what I really experienced. You, know, you have all these decisions that you have to make that uh, that maybe you don't really think about until you are in that that position of like, okay, now, you know, what am I going to do? And like, just even this whole waiting, the quarantine. You know, how long? You know, is it 10 days? Is it 14 days? You know, when do I go get tested? But then, as as a business person, in fact, I have a one of one of my bank customers who uh, had tested po- uh, positive, and she's in the healthcare, uh, you know, industry, and just telling her employees, uh, calling some of her uh, patients, it's it's not a it's a very um, you almost feel like you're a leper, and and yet this whole COVID is the world that we're in right now. And I think you know a lot more people are going to. We're not done experiencing it. That's for that's for sure. I was on a phone call with a consultant and my team at the bank. So my my team at the bank's all in the they're in the boardroom, and then we got the consultant that's from California, and I'm I'm sitting uh, you know at home. But we did do uh, some strategic planning as far as 2021, and it was interesting. One thing that we did, and we were looking at our risk appetite, and on every category, we had to say, all right, how has this pandemic impacted our risk appetite and how we're doing business, and what's what's that going to look like in 2021? We're mindful. We've got our eyes open to it, but thankfully, it's not changing our business model. American National Bank CEO Ginger Martin working from home this week after her college-age daughter tested positive for COVID-19. Bartender Keisha Scott had a chance to see her new home last week. After almost two years working in the restaurant and bar industry in Palm Beach County, she and her boyfriend Kenny have decided to move back home. Keisha Scott here, uh, coming to you from Austin, Texas today. 
<laughs> yeah, so we actually just um, did a walkthrough of an apartment. Um, so we'll be moving back here in about five weeks. Now we're going to go grab some lunch and then go look at furniture. <laughs> As the plane was descending, he even looked over at me and he's like, you feel that energy? That's Austin energy. <laughs> Obviously, we love it here. It's been a really interesting year and a half. Um, it was definitely a huge learning experience. Working one business, I learned that I was really good at multitasking everything. <laughs> and then when COVID happened, I realized that I was also really good at multitasking nothing. So <laughs> um, but I honestly, I don't have any regrets. If I, if I didn't take the job and would have stayed here, I would have just said, well, what if? And I'm not a what if person. I'm a doer. I have to do it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And then I just, you know, pick back up from where I left off, kind of like what I'm currently doing. So I, I, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a strong enough mindset to, to be able to live life that way. Keisha Scott is leaving her bartending job in Boynton Beach next month and is heading back to Austin, Texas after living and working in South Florida for almost two years. She's excited to return for a lot of reasons. One of those that she shared with us is the cheaper cost of living. Pilar Guzman Zavala also has been looking for a new home, maybe a couple. She wants to expand her empanada business next year. She runs Half Moon Empanadas. Oh my gosh, my week was. Um... It's stressful because of the elections. Um, I was very much paying attention all Tuesday. Um, the kids didn't have classes. So it's been an interesting week, uh, you know, because of the elections, uh, but also a very busy week for work. We did a promotion uh, where we stamped empanadas with, uh, with like uh, the flag, uh, the American flag. Yeah, so that I think... People love that in, in, you know, in Instagram, they, they, we had a lot of, a lot of likes for that. We're thinking to co-brand, to do stores co-branded with another concept, you know, just to be able to, uh, to join forces, right. Uh, you know, with her brand and my brand and, and maybe do it together. So we went to look at two stores and then we're looking at a third store in the Wynwood area. Uh, and that is exciting. Uh, so it's been a lot of back and forth with that. I put in Facebook, I just asked the question, I said, if you were to to ask for a half moon store, where would that be? And so my friends and the network and the people I have in Facebook started answering, right? Like, you know, here and here and here, a lot of people from the South, from South Miami. And then this person answered and it's like, what about these two places? And so, um, you know, we're looking at Pembroke Pines and uh, the other option is Davy. We may only do the uh, Pembroke Pines and the Wynwood place. So that is exciting, you know, because I think it will be a really cool co-branding effort. Our sales on the Ventanita have increased. The Uber Eats sales have increased. So we're seeing a lot of very positive, um, you know, buying the dozen empanada. So the ticket average is higher. And those are new things for the business. And so I want to spend some time as to, okay, what, what other campaigns do I do? You know, what changes we need to adjust some of the things that we have digitally. So how do we do that? Tuesday is always my operational day. So I would have the, the meeting with the controller. He had like a preview uh, and I know we did very well, but he'll make very detailed explanations of everything on Tuesday. We pass our expectation of sales for October. 
Um, so I think November and December, we will adjust up, you know, those projections because we're investing in marketing. And, and so that needs to be reflected on, on the projections that, that are not. So that, I think that's one concrete thing that we, we will have to do. And then looking also at our payroll, right? Like, okay, because right now I have a, a payroll that I could, I really could have two or three less people, like, you know, salary people. But I, I think the really interesting thing about this retail strategy of opening in other places is that I will be able to use that also payroll with, you know, my, my team opening these other stores. So that, that is exciting too. Pilar Guzman Zavala of Half Moon Empanadas, the baker of our baker, banker, bartender, trio of women we hear from each week as they operate through the pandemic economy. Please follow WLRN on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Look for a podcast of this program by searching Sunshine Economy and hitting subscribe. Joe Johnson is our technical director. Polly Landis, our booking producer. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening.